Now, hey, uh, glad to have you guys here. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. I don't know if you ever heard of a pastor named David Platt before, um, but David Platt, uh, he's, he's one of the guys that I really enjoy listening to. Um, and man, he just gives the word straight to you. And I was at a conference one time, and he was talking, and he said, uh, our job as pastors, uh, it's not uh, to be uh, the chef. Like, we're not the chef who's, who's back in, in, in the kitchen, who's cooking up all the good stuff. Our job as pastors is to be the waiter who brings the word out to the people hot. And so my job this morning is, is not to be the chef because I didn't create this word. God created this. My job is to be the server who brings it out to you so that you can hear God's word hot. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in and see what God has for us uh, this morning. Uh, last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, we jumped into a series, uh, because November, you know, it makes sense um, to talk about gratitude and Thanksgiving and stuff. And so we started a series called uh, Gratitude uh, for us to um, kind of debunk this kind of idea that, man, people are just nice when it comes to uh, uh, November and December, right? We said that this is the season of the year where we just be kind of become nice people. And we're like, you know, for 10 months out of the year, we just might be blowing it. But all of a sudden, November comes like, hey, it's time to give thanks. Hey, it, it's time to be nice with one another to see if this might actually work out for us. And so we said, you know, for the next four weeks, what we want to do is we want to talk about gratitude. Um, and, and I think like for me personally, uh, shouldn't believers be the most uh, grateful people uh, in, in the world? Well, I mean, in reality, like th there should be nobody on this planet that is more grateful than a believer because what we've experienced in the love, grace, and mercy of, of Jesus Christ. But the reality is sometimes we're not the most grateful uh, people in, in the world. Uh, we're, we're just not. Um, but if the gospel is true, and I believe that it is, Christians, the church, should be um, more alive and full of gratitude that, than, than anybody else. If there were ever anybody on the, that was living that should be more full of gratitude, um, it, it should be us. And why do I say that? Uh, because we're people who believe that Jesus, the Son of God, as Hebrews says it, the, the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, the, that Jesus stepped down from earth, that he took our sin upon his back, that he went to a cross, that he laid his life down, raised from the dead a few short days later, so that those who trust his life, their our life for his life, his life for our life, might be saved. And those who place their faith in him, do you know what he does? He gives us the right, Scripture says, to become children of God. He gives us the right to become sons and daughters Sons and daughters of the king. And so he comes in and he completely transforms our future. But not, does he, not, not only does he transform our future, but he transforms our lives for today too. And so if there were ever anyone who should be full of thanks and gratitude, it should be us. Because you know what? Great forgiveness leads us to great gratitude. Great forgiveness leads us to great gratitude. But don't we struggle with that? And if, if we're being honest, I think we struggle with that. If you're anything like me, there are days, weeks, and maybe even months sometimes that go by where the thankfulness for what Jesus has done on the cross for me, like it's not even anywhere on, it's not a blip on the radar for me. It's, it's just gone. And I'm not talking about like walking away from my faith or anything like that or just going off and doing something dumb that I know is that I, that I shouldn't do. I'm talking about like, man, I, there are times when I'm just cranky. I'm cranky and I'm not easy to be around. Everything around me just starts bugging me. Nothing feels right. 
Anybody else deal with that? Yeah, yeah, me and you, just, just two of us, right? So we'll talk. Shane, we won't talk, but we're going to talk right over here, okay? Uh, there, there were days, man, I, I'm just grumpy. Y'all remember that, uh, that, that donkey character in, in Winnie the Pooh? Uh, what was his name? Eeyore. Eeyore, yeah. Man, there are days when I walk around, I feel like I'm just Eeyoreing through life. Everything is awful. It's another bad day. Nothing's going to go right. Everything is wrong. And the mantra of my life becomes, woe is me. Anybody else have Eeyore days? <laughs> and if we're prone to uh, just kind of the Eeyore mode, isn't this a time in our society where like, we could just like, easily settle into that? Like, we could just settle into being Eeyore and we fit in with everybody else around us. And we're just kind of eeyoring around, just a bunch of eeyores walking around into one another, bumping into each other, and just ticking each other off. And we could very easily settle into that mindset, but that's not who God has called us to be. And, and so what I want to do is I, I don't want to be an eeyore. I, I don't want November and December to be the only months where I, I try to be a nice person. I, I don't want November and December to be the only months where we collectively as a group are, try to be a nice person. I don't want us walking around eeyore and around. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Luke chapter 7 together, starting in verse 36. Because I think what Luke does is he helps reframe our mindset out of this eeyore mode into gratitude. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 7, hopefully through the eyes of the Lord here and not through the eyes of a donkey, okay? Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? Whoever forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word's been spoken. Your word's been read. It's gone out. Now it's up to you to, to make it stick into our hearts. Your word says that it doesn't return void. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would encourage us, challenge us, mold us, move us into the thing that you want us to hear, put applications on our heart that you want to, to give directly to each one of us individually. Your spirit does that. And so wherever we're at with you, Lord, speak to us, I pray, and bless our time together. Amen. 
Let me set the stage for us here. Uh, we've got a meal going on here in a town called uh, Dain, or Nain, historically, so that we can just kind of get our mind around uh, the, the time frame of what's happening here while Jesus is getting ready to have this meal. He's already given the Sermon on the Mount. And, and if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, it uh, means you've maybe been at church uh, a time or two in your life, or you've heard uh, different kind of parables, or you've heard scenarios where this is kind of to brought up. And so we know that in this Sermon on the Mount, it, it kind Jesus, what, what he does is he throws a monkey wrench into everything that these pious religious Jews um, believe, the, the religious elite, and everything that they had based their, their life on. In essence, uh, the religious elite, and I think, uh, you know, we could on safe ground for us today, we could call these, these were the good church-going folks, okay? These were the folks who, like, they never missed a, they never missed a day, they never missed a time the door was open, and, and it wasn't necessarily about just not missing anything. It, it was, their heart wasn't in it. This was about being seen uh, to be there. And so they live by a code of ethics that if I can follow all the rules, then I should be okay, if I can get everything just right down to a T, then my relationship with God is going to be tight. But what Jesus does is he comes along and he's saying, yeah, you might be following all the rules. You might be getting everything right on, on the outside. But if your heart's all jacked up in the middle of all this, you're missing the point. It, because it was never about getting all the externals right and making everything clean on the outside so that you could show up somewhere and somebody be like, man, they must have it all together. You know, Facebook perfect, Instagram perfect. It was never about this exterior stuff. When Jesus shows up in his Sermon on the Mount and all throughout his life, it was all about what was going on on the inside. It was about life transformation, transformed lives. And this was a big deal, right? Because the religious elite... They kind of felt like there was nothing for them uh, to be transformed. Inside, they thought, man, we've got everything right. Everything is good in our lives. Now, I'm not trying to be trite or anything like that, but you probably have people in your life that, that, that they would say, this is how I live. There's nothing wrong in my life. I don't need to confess. I don't need to repent. Everything's going pretty good. And Jesus was real good at cutting through all the garbage and getting straight to the heart of things. Everywhere he goes, he just kind of cuts straight down the middle. He says, yeah, I see the outside. I see the good stuff. Man, it actually looked like all the good stuff around here. Your good stuff looks better than everybody else's good stuff. Things are, things are looking really good with you. But how's your heart? How's what's going on on the inside? What are you thinking about? How are you thinking? What are you believing right now? Where's your focus? How are you treating people when it comes to temptation? How are, you, how are you bearing up under the temptations in your life? What are your relationships like? How's your relationship with your wife? How's your relationship with your husband? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your relationship with the people that you work with? What's going on on the inside? Tell me about your heart. Don't show me a clean cup on the outside because anybody can grab a little bit of water and a little bit of soap and make something look clean. He says, tell me about what's going on on the inside of the cup because the inside of the cup is what tells me the real story here. And so what Jesus was doing, he was talking to some people whose hearts were in a pretty crummy place at the time. And, and so now you have one of these religious elites, this guy named Simon, who's one of the Pharisees, a, a guy who's likely been around long enough to hear Jesus give this Sermon on the Mount. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, why don't you come over for a meal? Come hang out at my house. 
Let, 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 let's spend some time together. Let's sit down and eat. Which, to be honest, guys, this is nothing outside of the norm, right? We read this and we're like, oh, it's a big deal to have Jesus come over. No, it, it's not. Like, this is normal for somebody. Like, if somebody was coming to town and they were giving a lesson or they were teaching or something like that, and, and as it was kind of like a guest speaker showing up in, in a town or a guest lecturer or a guest preacher, when that person comes in, you treat them nice. You spend time with them. You, you, you feed them. But this, this, what would turn out was when a guest speaker would come, they would have a banquet, and they would start inviting everybody around town to come over into the banquet. So this isn't really, thing, really anything uncommon for Simon to ask Jesus to come in and eat. But the deal during this particular time in the culture was that if you were a woman or if you were a beggar who was coming off the street to come over and eat, like you could come, you could hang out there, but the social norm was that you were supposed to make yourself scarce. If you came in and you were just straight off the street or if you were of the female gender, you moved yourself to the back of the room, kind of back in the shadows where nobody could see you. It's kind of that idea, it's okay for you to be here to be seen, but don't make a scene and be heard. And some of you gals are you know, kind of sitting in here, I don't think that's right. That, that, I, mean, I mean, I don't know what was going on then, but like, I love my brothers in Christ I love the people around me, but if I'm in the room and Jesus is in the room, I'm getting as close to him as I can. And you would be right. And Jesus is going to show that that's an okay thing. But here in this particular scenario, the social norm was women to the back, people off the street to the back. And so in this scenario, in this banquet, you likely have Jesus, you have Simon, who's the Pharisee, you have the disciples who are hanging out too, and you've probably got some other people who are straight off the street and some women who are hanging out there for a meal. And this is where the story picks up because there's a woman who shows up in the city, from the city who has her reputation that's preceding her everywhere that she goes. And so she comes in, and the way that the Scripture defines her, the way that we are introduced to her is that she's, you know, quote, she's a, she's a sinner. And the sinner, she hears that Jesus is going to be hanging out at Simon's house. And so if Jesus is going to be hanging out at Simon's house, then I'm going to do everything I can to go over and get to Simon's house so I can hang out at this banquet. And so she shows up. She walks into the room, and she doesn't say a word. I want you to notice, like the, this whole story, everything that we just read a few seconds ago, a few minutes ago, this woman never says a word throughout the whole deal. Right? Never says anything. So she walks in. She doesn't say a word, and she starts weeping at Jesus' feet. And she takes this alabaster um, jar full of ointment and perfume, and, and she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. She starts crying and weeping on his feet, and she starts putting this perfume on his feet. And so you've got this mixture of perfume and tears and hair kind of all up in, in the air. And if you're reading this, you've got to be thinking, what on earth is going on? Like, because this is crazy. This is not socially normal. People don't do this kind of thing. And so when we read the text, we've got to ask ourselves, why on earth would Luke put this in here for us to read? Why would Jesus be allowing this to, to understand? So we've got to ask this question. Because although the meal is common, this action here was definitely not common at all. And so if we're sitting at the dinner and somebody just busts in and kind of busts in on the scene like this, like, all of us, if we were sitting around that table, if we were sitting down on the ground with this meal, our jaw would be down to the floor because this kind of stuff doesn't happen. It's against the social norms. And not only does she just bust in, but she does some pretty risque things while she's in there with Jesus too. What's the scripture tell us about this woman? What do we know about her? 
Right off the bat, we know that she's a sinner, or we hear that she's understood to be a sinner. And that the way that this word is thrown in here in this story, it leads us to only one conclusion, right? That the sin that she's dealing with is prostitution. Now, now we can grab a hold of this, I, this word sinner and we, can, and we can make it bigger and we can uh, uh, throw out all the semantic range of meaning, what sinner could possibly mean. But the way that Luke describes her and the way he lays out the particular setting, the only thing that's left on the table for him to be talking about is that the sin that he's referring to is that she has been living a lifestyle uh, of, of prostitution. This is who she's been. What we know else about her? Well, the jar that she's holding with perfume if this alabaster jar, if it's full of nard, it's the, the same kind of thing that was used for burials. It's the same ointment or perfume that was used for, for perfume and smelling good, something that would be used in, in the lifestyle of prostitution. If it, it was used for all kinds of different things, but primarily for her, the reason why she would have this ointment, if she's a prostitute that, we, that the scriptures are leading us to believe, this is something that, that would have cost her about 300 denarii, and 300 denarii was a year's worth of wages for her particular lifestyle. So what she is pouring out on Jesus in this moment is a, an alabaster jar full of sin that she has incurred over the past year. She's laying it on his feet. The hair that she's wiping Jesus' feet with, the fact that her hair is down, this would link her to prostitution as well. Because during the time, women, they wore their hair up or they wore their hair covered. The, the way that we understand women to, to have uh, um, those, those who wore their hair down and loose was to designate that they were um, loose women. And so if a guy was particularly keen to go out and find a prostitute, he wouldn't look for somebody who had their hair up or covered. He would look for somebody who was a bit disheveled. And in this scenario, this lady, she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And then here... She comes out of the shadows, and she's not staying away from the table, which was the cultural norm. So that's another cultural no-no that's happening here. So in every way, she is breaking every social norm to get as close as she can to Jesus. And she doesn't care. Why doesn't she care? Because she's got to the point where she can't manage her sin any longer. And she's gotten to the tipping point. She's gotten to the breaking point. She heard that Jesus was going to be there, and so she is all in, and she's at his feet. And isn't this what we do with our own sin sometimes? Like, we, we manage it. We, we realize there's stuff going on in our lives. We're like, man, I can manage this. I can make this. It's not hurting anybody else. If, as long as I don't do this, I don't go that far. And if I stay in this lane, I, I can cover this up. And we manage our sin. But she has got to the point where she can't cover it anymore. She can't manage it anymore. It's been out in the public. Her reputation is known as a sinner. She is known to the whole community. Everywhere she goes, her reputation precedes her. She can no longer manage it. And... and She's not holding back on Jesus, and she's just weeping at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to take note here that nobody's in shock that there's a woman in the room, okay? The, the real scandal is that she is getting close to Jesus, and Jesus isn't stopping her. He, he's, he's, allow, he's allowing her to break the social norm, to get close to him, and to weep and to touch his feet. The real scandal here is they're looking at Jesus and being like, what are you doing? You don't know who she is? You haven't heard about her? Why are you allowing this to happen? That's the real scandal here. And so this is a pretty risque move on the gal's part. 
but it's also a pretty risque move on Jesus' part. But she doesn't care, and he doesn't care, and she doesn't care because she's understanding Jesus is who I need. I thought it was money. I thought it was sex. I thought it was desires. I thought it was everything that I was going after, but that's not what I need. It's Jesus who I need. He can handle my sin. And so it's clear that this woman is broken at the feet of Jesus. I want you to go ahead and write this down. Go ahead and throw this up on the screen, guys. Um, it's, it's hard to be broken over sin that you can't see, right? It's hard to be broken over, over sin that you don't agree that is a sin. Like you, you, you flex against God and you flex against his word and say, no, that can't possibly be. And as bad as we want it to be something else, we say, you know what? I, I, I don't agree with what scripture says here. And so it's hard to be broken over something that you don't agree with God on. And it's difficult to be broken over sin that you can, that you feel like you can manage on your own. If there's things that we feel like, I, I, it's not hurting anybody else, and, and I can manage this, and they're doing their thing, but I'm doing my thing. If you feel like you can manage it, you're never going to be broken over it. You're never going to be at the feet of Jesus weeping over it because it's still in your hands. Watch what Simon says here. He's sitting there watching this whole thing go down, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had, invited him to, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, said to himself, nobody else heard this, okay? This is in his mind. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. He's thinking this. How would you react if somebody just broke all the social norms? You, you thought you knew uh, a little bit about them. You thought you knew a little bit about their background. And then you see them, they show up on the scene like this, breaking every social norm. How, how, would, you, how would you respond? You know, um, I'm from a small town in, in Ohio. And, and in my small town, it's, it's the beauty of small towns. It's the, same, it's the same as a small town like this. Everybody knows everybody. And everybody knows everybody's stuff. Like, all the good things you know and all the bad things that you don't want anybody to know, everybody knows everything. And, and so uh, I grow up you know, having a history of 20, 25 years with people, and I, I know the good and I know the bad. Now, here's the deal. We all scroll on Facebook or on social media from time to time, and when I'm scrolling, it's hard for me not to see my friends 20 and 25 years ago. I see them with their kids, and I see them with their babies, and I see them with their new jobs, and all this sort of thing. But it's hard for me not to see the reputation that precedes the last 25 years. When, they, when I see their picture, I see, oh, are they still doing that? Oh, I, I remember that one time when. I remember when we did that one thing then. You know, I, it's hard for me. And so when I think about this, and, and, and this woman coming in, I'm thinking, man, how would I feel if one of my friends from 25 years ago, who I'm totally judging online, when they come in and they're sitting there, how would I respond in a scenario like this? And this is what Luke wants us to do. Luke is asking us to put ourselves in the story and respond, to try to identify ourselves with how Simon's going to respond in this moment. And what Simon says in his mind, again, nobody hears this. He doesn't say this out loud. This woman is a sinner. And he also, he doesn't just throw this woman under the bus, he throws Jesus under the bus. He says, if Jesus were really who he said he was, if he, if he was this, 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 this prophet that he says he is, he would know what kind of woman this is. He would know who she is and what she's done. He would know too, just like I know that she's a, that she's a sinner. She's a prostitute. 
Can you hear this man's heart? Can you hear it? Is he wrong? Is she a sinner? Yeah, she is. This is what she's been doing. This has been her lifestyle. But is he right? No, he's not right because he's missing the moment. He's missing what's happening right now in this moment. She is pouring her heart out to Jesus. Transformation is happening right in front of him, and he's missing it. He's missing what God is doing right in front of him because he can't see past his own stuff. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye when you've got a plank hanging out of yours? Is the speck sin? Yeah, it's sin. Does it get in the way and disrupt a relationship with God? Yeah, it gets in the way and disrupts a relationship with God. But what Jesus was saying was by looking to call out somebody else on their stuff while we forget that we're in desperate need of forgiveness, our own self, what we do is we miss the point. When we're hyper-focused on what's going on in somebody else's life, we miss that God has done something in our own life. When we're hyper-focused on what somebody else is doing and all the wrong in theirs, we forget that we've got our own stuff that we're dealing with, that we should be grateful for that Jesus came and lived and died on the cross to take away from us. We can't be hyper-focused on everybody else and forget that there's stuff that we've got to deal with. And so what happens is we end up hating other people around us because we're missing giving gratitude of what's going on in us and through us, what God has done through Jesus. And think about this, this Pharisee, uh, Simon, who's sitting here right now with all this judgment in his heart. He's probably grown up in a religious home, right? That's, you, you, you're, you're on a path to become a Pharisee, a religious leader. You probably learned the Torah and the law of Moses at a really early age, been born into the right family, had all the right privileges, been educated well, had all the right schools. He was able to get to the, the, religious, the right religious mentors uh, around him. Probably grew up around God, probably grew up in, in a God, with godly people around him, studying the scriptures, probably had all the right Bible trivia answers, right? He's that guy. He's the one that you don't want to see in Sunday school class when the Sunday school class is asking questions. He's the one who always knows the right answer. But I'm guessing that he never, ever considered himself a sinner. I'm guessing this man who had all the right answers never considered that his sin measured up to the same level as this woman. I may have done something wrong, but I'm not like her. I may have messed up every once in a while, but I'm not like him. It's a different class of sin. And I wonder if there's anybody like that here. I know that's me um, from time to time. So quick to see what's wrong with everybody else, but so slow to see what's going on in, in my own life. And when I'm scrolling, I, I just, I, I see people. And I'm like, you're still doing that? That's how you're dealing with your time? I'm so judgmental. So judgmental when, when, when that's going on. And all the while, like the Lord is saying, hey, you don't know, see that plank that you're walking around with your, in your own deal? Maybe deal with that before you start dealing with everybody else's stuff. But isn't that what sin does? Sin keeps us from being able to see ourselves as sinners. Sin keeps, sin keeps us from being able to see what Jesus sees that needs to be dealt with. Sin blinds us from being able to see ourselves the way that we should be seeing ourselves from time to time. We can see it real good in somebody else, but we can't see it for ourselves. It's not like that. I'm not like her. I'm not like him. Yeah, I mess up, but it's not that bad. But then you come to a passage like Romans 3.23. Remember what Paul says? That all of us have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. That pretty much grabs every one of us. All of us. 
yeah, but I, I'm pretty good. I do a pretty good job. Everything in my life is, you know, I, I'm really good at this, and, and I'm doing okay. And then you come across something in Isaiah, and Isaiah says, yeah, all your good deeds are like filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness of God. You're like, well, wow. Wow, then, then, then what do you see as good? You know, what, what, what is in, 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 fits into the good category? None of us ever stand clean and righteous without the label of sinner. I'm going to say that again so you can feel the weight of that for a second. None of us ever stand clean and righteous without the label of sinner, ever, unless something happens, unless there's a transfer that takes place, unless we found ourselves in the same position of the prostitute, broken over our sin and allowing Jesus to come in and rewire our hearts and give us a new label, and a label not as a sinner, but now a label as a son and daughter of the king. None of us stand clean unless we trade that label for something that only Jesus can give us, only when we become a child of of God. You didn't think when you came in here this morning you were going to get labeled in the same category as a prostitute, did you? Welcome to Riverview. (laughs) It's not until we're willing to lay down that label and accept what Jesus laid down on the cross for us that something begins to change. And this is what Luke wants you and me to feel. He's, he's asking us to put ourselves in the story and respond, to identify ourselves with how Simon responds. What he has been saying is she is a sinner. And while he's saying that she's a sinner, what he is implying and indicating is that she's a sinner, but I'm not. She's a sinner, but that's not who I am. Well, let's see what Jesus says about this in verse 40. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Now, whenever Jesus singles out somebody like this, there's some corrective theology getting ready to take place. He's about to change Simon's mind, or he's about to at least try to change Simon's mind. And so in the next few verses, you get this pointed illustration about uh, these two guys who are in debt. And so what Jesus says is, Simon, check this out. Two guys are in debt. One owes about a month's worth of of, uh, money, a month's worth of wages, and and there's a guy who owes about a year and a half's worth of wages. In other words, you've got one guy, his debt is somewhat manageable. He He can relatively easily get out from under this, but then you have this other guy. He's in so much debt, he's never gonna be able to get out from underneath. It's always gonna be hanging over his head, and he's always gonna feel the weight of that. But there's a lender who has given both of these guys money, who says, you know what? I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. You are able to walk from this place with no more debt. And so, Simon, or, and so Jesus says to Simon, which one's going to love the lender more? I was reading one commentator, and the commentator broke down this phrase, uh, which one's going to love him more? He, he said that uh, it's, uh, there was not a really good uh, translation um, to go for gratitude on this. And, and so this was the next best thing. But what he was trying to do was, which one will have more gratitude? Which one do you think is going to be more thankful? Which one is going to appreciate this, this more? Well, you think both of these guys are going to appreciate it, right? Their debt's been, both of them has been forgiven. But small debt, it can get repaid pretty quickly. The large debt just weighs on you and it carries you down. And you never feel like you're going to get out from underneath of that. It's almost suffocatingly heavy at times. And what Jesus is saying in this moment, what he's saying is there is sin that is so heavy in our lives that it's jacked up everything. Our relationships get busted. People don't want to associate with us anymore. Our reputation in the family gets shot. Reputation in the community gets shot. It precedes us wherever we go. The people that we were the closest to, 
that were the people that we said, these, these, are, these are my people, these are my ride or dies, these are the people that are never going to leave me. You look up and they're nowhere to be found. As it says, before you ever walk into the room, your reputation is going to be there waiting on you. And when you walk in, you know that the label that you're carrying in everybody else's mind is this label of sinner, and you feel it, and it's heavy, and you don't feel like you can get out from underneath of it. And people may not be saying it out loud, but you know that they know, and they're thinking about it. <laughs> but then you have this picture of this woman who finally gets to the point where it's just so heavy on her that it starts to break her down, and she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she pours it out there at his feet, and she trades her label of sinner and for the label of daughter of the king. When we get to that point and the sin breaks us, we trade in the label of sinner for saved. We trade in the label of condemned for loved. We trade in weighed down by sin debt to fully forgiven, and he wipes it clean by his grace and his mercy. Simon, who's going to love me more? The one who recognizes their deep need for me or the one who will never bow their knee to me. The truth is today that there are still so many people who are carrying around the label of sinner when Jesus has called them son or daughter of the king. And there's another truth that goes along with that too. There are so many people that are still walking in our midst that will never bow their knee because they can't get past seeing that their sin is sin, can't get to the point where they, they feel like, if I can just keep managing my sin, I'm going to be okay. They can't see that the sin that they're in is actually sin. And so there's a, a, a reality that some people will never bow their knee to Jesus. You know, there's a, uh, history, throughout history, whatever civilization or culture, there's always been monarchs. There's always been people who had the sovereign power and the authority, right? And, and when a, uh, uh, somebody would walk and stand uh, in, in the presence of that sovereign, of that monarch, they would always bow the knee. And sometimes it was willingly because they saw the, the, great ga- the great chasm between the sovereignty and them just being a subject. But sometimes it was by force because they were made to bow because they were, were stiff-necked and would not bow at all. And what we learn from Scripture is that there's going to be a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every one of us. And what's happening here, I think, with this woman is that she has definitely had her fair share of sin in her life. And in this moment, she bows down before the king, and she pours out this perfume. She pours out her tears. She wipes his feet and kisses his feet. And I believe with everything inside of me that she was walking away from everything that she ever knew. Maybe the only thing that she ever knew. And she said, today's the day. You are my king. Today, you are my Lord. Today, I am a daughter of the king. And I, and I think what Jesus is showing this Pharisee, and as we read it here 2,000 years later, I think what Jesus is, is showing us is that the only prostitute left in the room at this time wasn't the one who was bowed down in front of Jesus' feet. I think he's showing us the only prostitute left in the room is the one who was prostituting his heart out to lesser gods prostituting his heart and letting it be seduced by pride and arrogance and seduced by the lie that his sin was somehow better than somebody else's. The only prostitute left in the room was not this woman. It was this religious Pharisee who was standing there 
refusing to acknowledge who Jesus was. Simon was a smart guy. He knew the right answer, right? He knew the church answer, and so he says, I suppose it's the one who had the larger debt canceled. That's probably the right one. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. But what are you going to do with that? Are you going to bow your knee? Are you going to be broken over your sin? Or are you going to join this woman down here at my feet? Will your demeanor change? Or, or, or to this man, is he still going to be the only righteous person in the room? Is she going to be the only sinner still left in the room? And Jesus looks at Simon. He says, Simon, from the time I came in here, and you invited me to your house. You asked me to come in. Like, I came here as a guest to you, but you never welcomed me. From the moment I came in, you, you, gave me, you didn't give me a kiss to say hello, which was the, the hospitable way to greet somebody. You didn't put oil on my head. It's hospitable. You didn't give me water for my feet so I can get cleaned up and get ready for dinner. You didn't do any of these things that were the social norms of somebody who welcomes somebody into their house. But everything you missed, this woman right here, she nailed it. Listen to verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. We said at the beginning that great forgiveness leads to great gratitude. This woman is not there at the feet of Jesus because she's earning salvation. She didn't wipe his feet and do that, and so because she wiped his feet, she got salvation, and she was forgiven. She was there out of an act of forgiveness, out of an act of pouring herself out there. And Jesus says, she's already been forgiven. Look, look at the way that the, that the gratitude is just pouring out of her. Great forgiveness will lead us to great gratitude. What do you think happened to this woman? after she was restored. What, what, what do you think happens here? Her dignity is brought back. Her sins have been forgiven. Her face has been lifted. The scriptures are pretty silent uh, at this part, but I'm guessing, and I don't think we have to guess very far, that she followed Jesus. Isn't that what people do when they have a life-transforming interaction with Jesus? They follow, they follow him. All throughout scripture, we see when, when somebody has an encounter with Jesus, their first inclination and their desire is to say, Jesus, I'm gonna go where you go. Where you go, I'm going to go. Sometimes Jesus said, no, you go back and do your thing. But the desire was always to follow and to go where he's going. So many people did. I'm guessing that she probably tried to follow Jesus as best as she could. And I'm guessing that she also probably had a soft spot in her heart for people that were just like herself people who used to run the street, people who had made some pretty bad choices in their life. I'm guessing that she, she went there to the street to tell people about a man who could change their lives, a man who would show a, a gift of life and love, who would give forgiveness and, and give more purpose because that's what forgiven people do. They're full of gratitude and, and, the, and, and the grace and the mercy they receive, they go to try to give it to somebody else, to point people to the feet of Jesus. Because people who are forgiven much, they love much. They have great gratitude to the one who forgave their debt. Um, and I, I may have told you guys about my friend before, um, but uh, I had a friend that I was uh, mentoring um, a few years ago. And, um, man, he just all kinds, of, all kinds of stuff that he was dealing with in his life. And long story short, he was dealing with drugs. <clears throat> and the drugs led him to do, obviously, that was you know, kind of a bad thing in itself but it led him to do some other things that ended up landing him in prison. And uh, while he was in prison, to be honest, that was the best thing that ever happened to him because while he was in prison, he ran into Jesus. 
And when he ran into Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he said, the only thing that I can do is trust you. Because I can't manage my sin anymore. I'm in here detoxing and I'm falling apart. Like if you don't step in, I'm going to die in here. And so he gives his life to Jesus and it changes him. You know what this guy does? He's gone back to the street which he came from. And he tells people about the love of Jesus, that this doesn't have to be your life. That you can trade this in for a man who came and gave his life for you. And you can encounter his love, his grace, and his, his mercy. This is what forgiven people do. Forgiven people are full of gratitude, and they go to the people that God sends them to. And I just want to ask you, have you found yourself at the feet of Jesus? Have you found yourself there? Next to the prostitute, who in this scenario is your companion, not somebody to judge. Or have you stood there, seen the grace and the mercy and the love of God through Jesus, and said, I will not bow. I can manage my sin. I can handle this. I don't need you in this scenario. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters in the room who've trusted Jesus, who are full of gratitude because of what he's done on the cross on their behalf, and their life has lived to share the good news of the gospel with people around them. And I thank you for my, my friends in the room who haven't yet trusted you, either who are on a journey trying to figure out if, if, if they can bow their knee to you. They're dealing with their sin, dealing with this thing that has separated for so long, and years they've run, and years they've gone. And you've given them opportunity after opportunity, but you've said now is the day. Today is a day of salvation. I'm going to pray for them, God, if the scenario for them has been, man, I've just refused to bow my knee, I've been managing my sin, that today would be the day that they encounter your grace, mercy, forgiveness, and they, and, and they trust Jesus. That Romans 3.23 becomes really real to them, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is Christ Jesus, who came and gave his life. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And if anybody who would trust him, if anybody would trust him, and he would give him eternal life. I pray, Father, if there's anybody in that camp who just said, my knee will not touch the ground, that you put their knee on the ground today and you bow their heart, and that the, the externals just won't be enough anymore. The days of managing my sin are gone, and I'm going to trust the one who died for it all. I'm going to pray for my friends, God, that today would be that day. Send us to the people that you call us to. Father, let us not scroll, not scroll around seeking to judge others, but to be grateful for what you've done in our lives. Let us go out this week full of gratitude, full of what you want us to see, sons and daughters of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.